Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 115th episode of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If that was the number you were looking for, you were in the right place. So good job. And uh, even better job if you've left a review and a rating on iTunes. I I appreciate it. It, it makes me happy. Uh, I still don't know exactly what it does, but I just like to see them. Um, because I talk, and it's nice when people listen. And uh, you, you make that happen. You bring that whole thing full circle. So thank you very much. Okay. Wintertime fly fishing. I kind of go through my normal routine of articles and podcasts, just doing different spins on them, try to get a couple of product reviews out there, but just like winter fly fishing tips, destination ideas, a couple of stories, that sort of stuff. This year, I realized that it is almost the end of January, and I have not talked about fly fishing shows and expos. Well, there's a reason for that. It's 2020. There isn't any large scale gatherings. Now, I know there are a few exceptions, and that's totally cool, but by and large, everything has been postponed. If you want more information about fly fishing shows, I would recommend you go back and listen to a previous podcast on that topic. And I have plenty of articles on how to get your most bang for your buck when you go, what to spend your time doing, why it's worth doing, why if you have gone to one before and didn't think like it was worth it, that it might be a you problem and give you a couple of suggestions as to maybe how to get more out of it. So I've, I've written about it quite a bit, but I'm kind of bummed out because there's a couple of weekends in January, February every year where I would go to fly fishing show weekends. I'd make a whole thing out of it. I, I would try to go to the one outside of Boston, Marlboro, and I would go to the one in not Somerset, Edison, not Somerset, Edison in New Jersey. And that's that's the big one. That's that's the real 
big event of the the branded the fly fishing show circuit but then i would go to some local ones also uh, some local fly shops would put on shows some local trout limited chapters would put on shows in your area it might be a different uh event organizer that puts on a show it could very well may be uh, a fishing gun club that puts something on they're out there but there's a very good chance that they're not happening this year like they otherwise would. And say what you want about the response, the coronavirus. It's a, it's, a, it's a real thing, but how people have responded to it in different states and municipalities, you know, it is what it is. But I get why these groups are shutting these things down. Aside from the potential public health risks, there's a great economical investment that you have to make to get these things to happen. And it's probably just not going to yield the amount of people you need coming through those doors to make it a worthwhile venture. So they're not happening. But can you still have that kind of experience of a fly fishing show without going to a fly fishing show or fly fishing expo? Yes and no. And I'll start off by saying the one thing that you are not going to get is the FaceTime. You're not going to be able to stand in front of somebody and have a conversation. Now, that might be hearing a sales pitch, which I absolutely love. And just as a little bit of a rabbit trail, there's something to be said for somebody who can sell something well. Uh, there's a lot of fly fishing products that are, are within very, very tight margins of being the same thing because there really is only so much variation that you can put into line and flies and rods and reels and all those things. And especially when you get to you know the same price point, you might could lean on aesthetics, you might could lean on reputation and warranty. But for me, if I'm talking to that head sales rep or maybe even the owner or the designer of that product and I I get a good sales pitch, that's something that I will seriously take into account because that just shows the heart and the person behind the, the product. But anyway, so there, there's that kind of face-to-face -face time, but there's also the exposure to other anglers. So one of the things I would do is I would always go and I'd help some of my friends who are in the industry. I mean, casting across, I don't sell anything. Uh, I don't have a, a product that I'm peddling. Obviously, I want people to read the website and listen to the podcast and be engaged on social media and all those things. But I, I don't need a booth. I, I go and I write about the fly fishing show and I talk about the fly fishing show. But I mean, I want I want to do something else. So for me, going to the show always means getting behind a booth with one of my friends in the industry and selling products with them and for them and being able to have that engagement and being able to meet people that I've only gotten emails from online and have had social media chirps and people who listen and subscribe and, and, and read the website. I love that. But beyond that, I'm just as much a, a curious angler as anyone else. I will go up to people and talk to them and maybe see uh, their face and recognize them from social media or from uh, you know, YouTube or something like that and have a conversation with them. And then the next level, meeting people who are selling products, who are at conservation organization booths, who are giving the demonstrations. That is a wonderful part of this community because really, you know, you kind of have to be authentic to really make it. Of course, there's some rotten apples and bad eggs and whatnot, and you're going to find that in any group of people. You know, um, I think one in ten, maybe that's a little bit high, but you're always going to have somebody who's a little bit difficult to work with. But by and large, in, in, in the fly fishing world, people are approachable. Um, you, you really can't get to the top without being authentic and 
without being real and without you know just in, enjoying being around other people that the culture of fly fishing is really an integral part of of making it if if i can put it that way so all that to say there's no way to replicate that outside of going to a show and so maybe that's the big bummer that's the big uh you know letdown to start the episode off with is that you're not going to be able to in a pandemic in a shutdown when things are not operating you're not gonna be able to have that having it on zoom is not the same you're never going to stumble into 35 people on the trout stream that you're going to sit around with and hang out with for hours on end you might have a couple of guys you might have your trial limited friends you might have just your, your fishing buddies but it's not the same as that giant crowd at the fly fishing show and in the hotel lobby afterwards and all that sort of stuff. And it's a wonderful scene. You just can't do it. But hey, there's a lot of things we can't do these days. But that doesn't mean that you can't get some of that pop uh, and some of that benefit that you would otherwise get at a fly fishing event from the comfort of your own home. So I'm going to talk about two of those things, how you can do them, and maybe whet your appetite for one of the fly fishing shows that could be coming up later in the year. I have some optimism that there there's some events that are still going to take place. Uh, even under normal circumstances, there's some that happen like March, April, May, June. Who knows? But the first thing is shop for that new product. So one of the cool things about going to a fly fishing show, it's like going to a big store in some senses because you are window shopping and you might see things that you didn't know you needed. Now, I'm not saying that in some hyper-consumer materialistic sense of, well, I didn't need that, but now that I saw that, I know that I need it. This could very well be, you know what, my fishing shirt is worn out. There's a fishing shirt, I'm gonna buy it. I didn't realize it until I saw it. Or, you know what, I've been looking for that color of rooster neck. Now I can buy that color of rooster neck because I've been using dark green or I've been using really pale green, but here's a nice lime green dyed rooster neck. I'm going to buy it because it's in front of me. I mean, that's great. It's not impulsive. Certainly we can make impulsive buys, but there's also the bigger purchases. Get a new rod, get a new reel, maybe even buy an inflatable. That's one of the great things about going to these fly fishing shows is that you can go sit in some of these inflatables that are usually direct to consumer or maybe have a very small distribution uh, base that they work with. So to be able to go sit in one of these boats and say, you know what, this is the kind of thing that I need for my my stream or for my pond or this probably would, you know, seeing it broken down, fit in the back of my station wagon. Those are things that are awesome to do at a fly fishing show. Now, again, you can't do that online from the comfort of your home, but you can kind of have a facsimile of that. And, and here's what, what I think about when I think about this. 25 years ago or whatever, uh, what happened? I would get this stack of catalogs in the mail. Uh, these days they don't do that, one, because it's not eco-friendly, and two, because you can provide so much more information and much more dynamic information online, both from a uh, you know video and interactive aspect, but then also stuff that can be changed at the drop of a hat. Uh, you you don't you have companies that roll out new products throughout the course of the year, not just winter or uh, winter uh, and summer. So you go online, and I do that just to kind of stay in the loop of what's happening in fly fishing. There's a lot of companies I don't follow on social media because I because you know there's kind of the same content from a lot of the big companies, just lots of fish shots, which is fun and all, but. 
what I like to do is just go through some of the major fly rod companies, the major reel companies, the major line companies, the major accessory companies, and just go to their website and see what's new, see what they've got on the splash page, just to know what is out there. And that's the kind of thing that you would get if you go to a fly fishing show. They put the new stuff on the front of their display so you can kind of have an idea of this is what's out there. It might not be anything that I'm interested in, but I know it's there. That way, if either today or next week, or in a couple of months, or once something that I have breaks, I know kind of what my options are if I want to do something a little bit different, or if what I have, I, I can't replace, so I, I have to do something different. That's one of the benefits of just kind of walking those aisles at those shows, is that you get an idea of what's out there. You can kind of do the same thing at home, but you don't have to go through this pile of catalogs. You can just click through a handful of websites. And there's, a, you know, a, a number of uh, fly shops that have a very, very robust selection online, but you're probably not going to get the same sort of detail and kind of the little mini sales pitch that you would get if you were to go onto these companies' websites. And once you find something that you like, then go down on that website, on the bottom, on the menu bar, wherever it might be, you're going to find dealers that are in your area. And there's a good chance that if it's a big company, there's somebody within a reasonable drive where you can go and actually touch that thing. You can hold that reel. You can try on those waders. You can see if that chest pack fits, whatever it might be. And then you can patronize those local businesses, those local fly shops, which actually is one of the cool things about fly fishing shows is that a lot of these shows where uh, the big companies go and set up booths, they're not selling their rods, reels, waders, flies, newest tools. They have them there to talk about and to promote them, but then what they'll say when, when you say, well, I want to buy this new whatever, is they'll say, okay, well, there is this fly shop and this fly shop and this outfitter. You can see they have a sign. You can probably see them you know, in the expo hall. They're there and there. You can buy it from one of those places. We, they, they should have a handful. And, and if they don't, then come talk to us. It's a kind of a cool thing, and it helps promote those local businesses. So if large fly fishing company A goes to Denver and Seattle and New Jersey, uh, they're not selling direct to consumer in those three cities. They're utilizing maybe two or three different fly shops, and and so they're supporting those local businesses. So that's a cool thing, and that's something that I would I would recommend that you do if you are doing online shopping, kind of in lieu of a, a fly fishing show visit. Now, what does this leave out? Of course, this leaves out some of the smaller companies, the new companies. That's one of the cool things, too, about fly fishing shows is you are exposed to products and companies that you would not otherwise see, local, regional, uh, small businesses that are maybe making their own product and maybe only one or two products. So how do you find these companies? Admittedly, this is a little bit more difficult. It, it involves just kind of keeping an eye open and maybe knowing the right hashtags. Uh, you know, you put in hashtag fly fishing gear. You might get a lot of people trying to attract attention to their own account, but you might also have people doing that because they are a small company in fly fishing. Uh, you can the, the algorithm will start to to check out what you are looking at, and you'll start to see more small companies that make fly boxes or sell flies or sell T-shirts or hats or things like that. And so that kind of stuff that you wouldn't otherwise see now you can see. Um, the same Facebook does a, a similar thing to Instagram where you're you're able to kind of start to fall down that rabbit hole. It's an imperfect science, but again, you know, it gives you a chance to see something that you might not otherwise see 
So make a deliberate effort, you know, use your coffee break or your lunch break or as you're falling asleep at night to just scroll through some of the companies that are out there and just to kind of get familiar with, with what's available and email. I find that whether it be for casting across or whether it be for uh, just my own you know, personal interest, the reps for these companies are very responsive. You know, customer service at whateverflyfishingcompany.com, they'll get back to you. And you can have a little taste of that interaction that you'd otherwise have if you were face-to-face with that person. Okay, a long conversation on first, what you can't do, which is talk to people face-to-face. Secondly, what you can do, which is kind of get an idea of what's out there new in the fly fishing world. And, and a lot of those websites will have the new arrivals or fresh for 2021 or something like that. It'll be on that splash page, easy, easy to find. Thirdly, uh, you're not going to be able to sit in on a class with an expert and have them talking 15 feet from you as they tie a fly or demonstrate mending techniques or point to a board with uh, big pictures from Patagonia on it uh, from from, uh, their last trip there because they guide or whatever. You're not going to be able to have that. But there are a lot of options out there. Uh, First, a little PSA. When we get back to normal and you can go to fly fishing events and expos and shows and whatnot, go to those classes. I talked to some of the folks that run these uh, events, and that is their recommendation, especially the free ones. They, they, they say it kind of boggles their mind that more people don't go to these free uh, events. Not free, but included in the cost of their ticket. There's always like paid classes you can do, and those are fantastic. Those usually fill up. There's something to be said there for the perceived value of something you pay for. But anyway, uh, those free classes. There's always classes about fly tying. There's always classes about technique. There's usually classes about local destinations, and there's also classes on exotic destinations. Uh, if, if I were a, a pay, kind of a paying customer that wasn't doing some of the other stuff that I'm doing, I would try to hit at least one of each of those just to kind of whet my appetite and have some exposure to all those different topics. But you can't do that this year. You're not going to be able to do it. Your local fly shop, however, might have something available, either in a socially distanced capacity or on Zoom. Uh, I'm on three Trout Unlimited email lists from different chapters I've been involved with over the years. And so I see what they're doing, and they're doing some really cool stuff. I've sat in virtually on a couple for my local chapter here, some really high-quality presentations uh, from some big names, the kind of people that would appear at these fly fishing events. Uh, And so they're able to get a little bit of exposure. They're able to talk in a kind of a quasi-intimate setting because it's only, you know, maybe 15, 20 people because it's just a TU chapter or whatever. And you're getting that information you want about how to tie a fly, uh, a particular technique. These things are great ways to kind of get you through the winter and a lot more people are going to be available this time of year. So seek those things out. Uh, see what's going on in your local chapter. See what's going on in your local fly shop. There's a, there's a fly shop and I haven't tuned into anything that they're doing, but they're getting local tires to just set up and they're letting people know ahead of time what materials are needed. That way you sit down at your vice with everything that you need and you tie along for these few patterns. So it's a kind of a fellowship activity. It's a, it's a hanging out activity, but it's also a, a chance for you to learn how to tie a new fly. And of course, there's plenty of stuff on YouTube, uh, but you know, you make those deliberate choices to say, okay, 
I'm going to learn a couple new things. I am going to watch what is effectively a commercial for a product or a place or something like that. But I'm going to just maybe make an educated decision about going to this lodge or buying from this company or something like that because they have made a you know a pretty 15 minute short film which is actually a commercial. But you know what? I mean, everything's like that these days, so it's okay. You just kind of got to go into it realizing that you're being sold something, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. All right. So again, I apologize. You can't uh, go to any shows or events or expos this year, but you know what? They'll be back. And like I said before, if you didn't enjoy the last one you went to, try going and just doing something totally different. If you are the opposite of me and you're antisocial and you don't want to have all those conversations with people, then that's okay. Just pick out the four or five classes you want to go to, go knock those out, make a beeline to the booths that you want to go go see, and maybe talk to somebody that's you know in conservation. If, if the, the commercialism of it and the, and the sales pitches are something that you, you don't like, then there's plenty of, of groups that are helping uh, veterans or new people get into the sport or restoring local watersheds. You know what? They'd be happy for you to get involved and go out and do some work by yourself. But on the other end of the spectrum, you know, if, if you miss that after party if you miss the wild and crazy antics that happen, uh, then we're just going to have to wait for it. It's coming back. It'll be happening next year. And it's okay. It's it, It'll be great. It'll be good. Uh, we'll have missed it, but it's going to be just as exciting when it comes back next season. And, and like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if there are a lot of alternative events that happen in, as soon as things start to open up. And Lord willing, they'll be opening up uh, th- this summer. And But at that point in time, we'll be fishing, won't we? A lot more than we are now. This week on Casting Across, two articles, as usual. Monday's article, my reinvented trout stream. So I went to walk on the banks of one of my favorite little local trout streams last week. I fell down. I'm just getting old, I guess. Fell down and and wiped out. But the reason why I fell down and wiped out is because my right foot went into like a three and a half foot hole that was never there and my right knee just completely got smashed on a rock. Um, let's say right foot slipped, left knee got smashed. Yeah, that's how it happened. But the reason that hole was there was because there's a new little plunge pool being created from a diversion on the downstream side of a beaver dam. And this thing is huge. For, for this small stream, it is a, quite the undertaking. Uh, these beavers were, as they say, busy. But what did this do? It really changed the course of this stream. And initially, I was like, oh, man, I got to get a hold of uh, the, the Wildlife uh, Commission for the state and let them know what's going on and come in here and tear this out and things get back to normal. But then I thought, you know what? This is a really healthy stream. It's a spring-influenced stream. So although the water upstream from the dam is going to warm up a little bit, it still should be cool enough summertime to uh, maintain the trout populations. And it's it's a big dam for that stream, but it's not that big of a dam. It's not going to be a, a huge like lake or anything like that. And this might create some opportunities for some of these fish, which can get, you know, 8, 9, 10 inches uh, to maybe push a couple more inches if they have some deeper water where they can chase some larger um, prey species, maybe some bigger leeches, maybe some more minnows and things like that. But I write about that and some ways to think about water that changes uh, because there's a chance that your water has changed over the seasons. Uh, There's a natural 
uh, evolution to every water body. And sometimes we don't see that because they are often protected. Um, and when we kind of think that we need to keep streams the way that they, they look now, but that's not how nature works. Um, nature adapts. Nature finds ways to change things, and there's actually a real healthy benefit to that. So this beaver dam may very well be that for my little trout stream. So I wrote about that. Wednesday's article is a little bit different for the old casting across. It's called Five Minutes More and One Last Cast Part One. It is a third-person semi-fictional tale of a fishing trip. So uh, it's split into parts because we're talking thousands of words. So this is the first part of at least three. And you can read the exploits of this character as he heads up into the mountains to catch some brook trout on castingacross.com. This week on Casting Across, I am going to recommend Reddington Gear. I talk about Reddington a lot. I like Reddington. Let me tell you real quick why I like Reddington. Uh, price point is awesome. You really can't beat it. Secondly, their branding is different. Uh, they, they stand out. They're not afraid to be bold, but they're not over the top. They use color, but it's not in an obnoxious way. They uh, appeal to kind of an average angler skewing slightly younger, but not so much that somebody who maybe is a little bit mature will think, you know, this is not for me. So it's just a refreshing take on traditional fly fishing gear. So they've come out with a few new products that I just kind of wanted to highlight. The first is a uh, rod called the Claymore. It is a spay rod and it starts in very, very small lightweight trout spay all the way up to really big winter steelhead weights. And so it's a two-handed rod and it's got a fast action uh, for pushing out line really, really far. Uh, Two-handed trout fishing is something that I really want to get more into. I've done a little bit of it um, on some larger rivers uh, in the, the East Coast, but I want to do more of it uh, here in, in New England. And so I'm looking to get back into that. So this rod is certainly on my radar. Um, they have a couple other new products, but I'll tell you what, like I said before, uh, go to reddington.com and check out uh, their kind of new for 2020 uh, selection. And you'll see some of the new rods. You'll see some of the new uh, gear that they have put out um, and uh, some of the products that I've talked about before on the podcast and on the website that I'm a huge fan of, like the Behemoth Reel and the Benchmark Wading Boots and a couple other ones. They're all there, and you can check them out. But uh, definitely check out the Claymore Rod. If you have not done the two-handed uh, casting, um, that would be a great thing for you to look into for this time of year. Fly shops might offer socially distanced casting lessons where you have a chance to test out a completely new way of casting. So look at Reddington.com. I will put a link to the Claymore and some of their other new products on the show notes for this episode's page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.